Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. This is an historic time. This could be the next 1918 pandemic. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? Are you isolating yourself? Who do you count on? It's actually to protect you. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist. You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules, the coronavirus edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye. And this is the series where we bring you the latest fact-checked analysis, trying to keep everyone prepared, informed, and calm. It's still hard to get a handle on the magnitude of the whole COVID-19 pandemic, how many people are already infected, how quickly it's spreading, how much worse is it going to get, or when will it get better? Now is the time to pull out all the stops to curb the spread of this thing. Shutdowns of all non-essential services are active in many places. Plus, stay-at-home orders are in place for 100 million of us Americans. Social distancing is the new norm. Six feet, everybody. Two meters. Six feet. As of the start of this week, the U.S. has had a total number of cases of 33,400, which includes 400 deaths. Globally, there have been more than 15,000 deaths from the coronavirus, and a big part of the problem is testing. There's a major gap between the number of people exposed to the virus and the number of available tests, especially here in the United States. So to cut through all the confusion, we're joined today by Dr. Michael J. Minna. He's an epidemiologist at the Harvard School of Public Health, and he's here to fill us in on the latest news about the COVID-19 testing. Uh, Dr. Minna, welcome to Science Rules. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, what is the state of te- what is the state of testing for COVID nineteen here in the United States? Well, it, unfortunately, the state of testing uh, for this virus in the United States is really, uh, at the moment, continues to be very subpar. <laughs> if I can just, it's not somewhat subpar. It's very subpar. It, it is. You're absolutely right. It is. We are one of the worst in the world rel- relative to our population and, and in particular relative to the wealth of this country. We are doing a, a really a terrible job at the moment. Well, this, this gives me two questions. Which countries are doing a good job? Is it two or 32? Uh, it's just, a, I would say that it's been only a few. And I think we saw, for example, South Korea really ramped up their testing amazingly fast. And, and they were able to do that, I think, because they, they were able to uh, essentially bring lots of resources together and create very efficient pipelines to do it. How much of it has to do with just the bigness of the United States? You know, I, 
I like to remind everybody, you know, people think about very populous countries, China and India. Well, the United States is the third most populous country in the world. We have a third of a billion people. How much of it is just the bigness of the United States and how much of it is the disorganization of the United States? I think the 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 bigness of the United States certainly plays a role, but we also pour a tremendous amount of re- of dollars into our healthcare system. So that really shouldn't be uh an issue, I think. And and um and what we're really finding is the issue. Uh, there was a, a disorganized uh, initial rollout of the test, and that was uh, by the CDC, and and um, and and that unfortunately got underway very slowly. I think some of it was even before that. It was uh, a very. It took a while for the United States as a country to really get on board and realize, hey, this is something we're going to have to tackle. So we we kind of squandered quite a few weeks at the beginning of this epidemic when things were really roaring in China. And and then there were just there was a lot of red tape and a lot of regulation and and this is in order to sort of because we're such a big country because we're so varied and we have so many different pieces all all trying to do similar things the the FDA over many years has become this complex behemoth and what we found was was for this particular test there was an intention to create a, a good amount of quality control as new tests were rolled out, but it really backfired and ultimately hindered uh, development and and uh, increases in testing across the country. So, by by the way, what is the value of testing? I mean, I just personally, you know, I want to know: Do I have it? Jeez, every time I, you know, I I sneeze because uh, I inhaled dust. Does that mean I have it? Like. I'm always on edge the last couple of weeks that way. But what is the value to everybody in the world of having these tests? Mm-hmm. So there's two. And, and that's where the, the, the test is both for individual health and also for public health. So if you're not feeling well, you want to know if you're sick. And you want to know if you're sick, both for your own health and to ensure you're not getting those people around you sick. But then we also have to take a big step back from all this and say, why do we test the population? Why not just really do targeted testing? And that's because we need to know just how many people out there are sick who might not be. What, what's targeted testing? Where somebody feels sick, that's the, he or she becomes a target? That's exactly right, where, where we, we want to test that person and then we go and do contact tracing and, tar- and test all the people around them to see which, if any of them, actually also got sick. So then at the population level, we really need to know uh, where in the epidemic curve are we? We want to know. We can use a lot of fancy mathematical tools once we have a good understanding of where we are in the curve. But until we know sort of what trajectory we're on in terms of how this epidemic is growing in our state or our country, uh, we we really can't successfully apply our method, our mathematical methods. And so, testing the population is absolutely crucial, both to know where we are now but also to monitor when we put in all of these restrictions, for example, we're seeing the social distancing restrictions. These are all uh, with the intention of slowing the spread of the virus. And until we can really roll out testing very widely, we're, we're kind of flying blind here. What is the actual test? You know, I, I hear the, everybody loves DNA and then RNA, mm-hmm. uh, ribonucleic acid within deoxyribonucleic acid. And then there's um, there's there are antibodies, right? When your body de- a person's body develops antibodies to things. What is the actual 
test actually testing? So the, the test that most people have been talking about and that we've seen all over the news is a PCR-based test, polymerase chain reaction. And what this is, is it looks for little bits of RNA. You could think of RNA as a big rope, but, but very small because it's inside of a virus. But if you picture a rope and, and you picture that that rope is actually made up of, of the letters of nucleic acids, uh, so you have a rope made up of a bunch of letters. We actually want to go and target e the different sequences are represent different viruses. So we can actually use these sequences of letters that make up this rope and, and be able to, to look for specific sequences that are only existing in this coronavirus. This is your, our good friend, cytosine, guanine, adenine, and... And uracil. And so we actually look for these patterns using, uh, using these things called primers and probes. And they're, they're like little fluorescent light bulbs are the probes. And, uh, and we can bind to specific patterns. And, and, but the, the light is really, really faint. So we can't really see it because it's so small. So we use this polymerase chain reaction. And that's the, that's the key. It's a chain reaction. And we, if the moment a primer and a probe finds one little bit of the correct sequence, it then multiplies into two and then four and eight and keeps going exponentially until each and each one of those has a little probe with a little light bulb, a uh, fluorescent probe, and eventually it gets bright enough that we can see it. And that's actually called real-time PCR, real-time polymerase chain reaction. And it's the, it allows us to monitor how the light is growing and it will only grow if that sequence from the virus exists in the sample. And that takes time. It right? does. And so how long is that time? Well, it depends on which test we're doing, but on average, you could think that per sample, it takes around an hour, an hour and a half, but luckily we can do it in parallel. We can do multiple samples at once. So why, why is it taking so long? When will this stuff, when will this test be available, let's say nationwide or, or continent-wide, you know, Canada, Mexico, and so on? Yep. So, so the hour piece is really the biological piece. And Almost all of the delays that we're seeing are, are in the logistics. And it's how do you get a sample from somebody's nose into a, into a tube of, of some media that's going to contain, that's going to hold it. And then how do you get that tube to the lab that's going to process it and not have a big backup, a big line of tubes waiting to be processed. And that's where, that's really where all of this, the long delays that we're seeing are, are coming in. And, uh, and part of those long delays are, are actually being driven by a lack of reagents, a lack of the actual material to do the test. What, people didn't anticipate this being necessary? That's correct. Well, it's really because, so when the, this is where the politics and the, and the red tape and the FDA all come in and combine with the scientific world and, and some other manufacturing problems to create sort of a perfect storm. What happened was that when the CDC first came out with their assay, their, which is a test, they, they said, okay, A-S-S-A-Y, that's correct, yeah. assay. And so when they came out with this test, they, they told the world, or at least in this case, the country, they said, this is the test that we approve. And they put two manufacturers of these RNA extraction kits as the sort of uh, approved RNA extraction kits to be used. So if, and where are these where are these labs or manufacturers? Well, so one manufacturer is Roche and the other is Kyogen and there are two Roche is based uh, in Europe and, well I think both of them are actually based in Europe and and uh, so their their manufacturing plants are probably all over the world. They have quite a few of them. 
But the problem is once once the CDC came out and said, okay, these two kits are what everyone should use. Well, of course, everyone went out and purchased them. And so then they the, the manufacturing was completely, uh, you know, the supply could not keep up with the demand at all. And it's been ever since then over the last month, it's essentially been a, a big game of catch up where, where we have more manufacturing plants coming online. We have more manufacturers, more companies being approved. And everyone's just trying to keep up with, with demand. But, but frankly, this virus is growing exponentially. So the demand yeah. is growing exponentially. And manufacturing so, doesn't do Dr. Minna, if you were king of the forest, <laughs> what would you do as king of the forest? If you were in charge now, what would you do? Would you authorize other manufacturers to make this or approve them, their tests or something? I'd certainly do that, and and the FDA is certainly doing that. I think that the regulations have re- they have really bent over backwards to try to to try to deregulate this as much as possible while still keeping um, everyone sa- while ke- still keeping some quality control. But what I would do, I mean, unfortunately, what this is showing, what it's really exposing, is is a huge weakness in in our ability to have a system ready to go for preparing for epidemics and. You know, at this moment in time, there's not a tremendous amount to do to change the manufacturing. I think some plants are coming online. We actually work directly with a plant in Lithuania, for example, to get to get large quantities of these RNA extraction kits. But um, how many? I mean, how many do we have compared with how many we need? Well, I would say we have a huge limitation there. I, I haven't done the math, but I think you know, we in the United States now, I think to really do our due diligence and test enough people, we should be testing hundreds of thousands of people a day. And, uh, and instead, we're, we're testing ten, maybe between about 20,000 people a day. So it's still really low. It might be a bit higher than that. Every day it's creeping up a bit more, which is good. But, but we're, we're an order of magnitude low. We'll be back right after this. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel when your space has the long-lasting noticeable scent of airwick vibrant essential mist you'll want to invite everyone over from book club to reality tv watch parties even the in-laws it smells Amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy, the way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Two big picture questions. 
Should everybody in the U.S. get tested? Should that be a goal where everybody gets tested? I, I don't think we have to test everyone. And, um, but we should, we should plan for many people to get tested multiple times, for example, because they, they, might, uh, they might be negative and negative and we have to, and eventually they might turn positive. So I think a goal of 100% is unreasonable, but a goal of uh, high percentage points, you know, is good. What's, what's South Korea's percentage? Well, South Korea, in the area where they had the, out, the massive outbreak, they actually were able to test 5% of that population over just a 25-day period, essentially, which was really 5%. Remarkable. Yeah. yeah. 5%, you're into the- uh, Millions of people here. Yeah, in the U.S. So that's one big picture question. <laughs> the other big picture question is, do we have enough people like you? Do we have enough medical professionals, chemi chemistry professionals, chemical engineers who manufacture these things? Like if we mobilized everybody who, with expertise, would we have enough people? We certainly do. We definitely do. And, and especially what we're seeing now is, uh, is now we're seeing some of these big companies that, norm, that make, the, so they make these um, kits for testing that are much more simple to use than the CDC test and the other and the tests that have been used thus far. So, uh, have you used the test? Are you? Do you ever? Did you work in the lab for years and now you're off doing this analysis? Is that your thing? I, I do both. So I'm both an epidemiologist and I also develop tests on my own for antibodies, which is a different type of test. And right here today, uh, we actually are going live with a high throughput test in Boston that I've been helping to uh, get set up uh, at the Broad Institute, which is an institute that sits between MIT and Harvard. And, uh, and we're actually just starting, and it's going to be all automated with instruments and robots to do what is technically difficult for an individual person, but is very simple to do for a robot. We got our first samples today, and we're going to be really ramping up to uh, hopefully into the thousands per day uh, over the week. Once you get exposed or you test positive, does that mean you have immunity or not? Well, that's a really terrific question. And uh, <laughs> so this virus, it's, uh, it's still a coronavirus. And so the important thing to know is that this is actually, this is a class of virus, a family of viruses that are very normal, really. There's lots of, there's four main coronaviruses that a lot of kids get sick with every year. This one seems to be a little bit worse. But, but at least what we can learn from the viruses that normally circulate in the population is that people do develop immunity to them. We don't see people in the same year getting sick over and over and over with the coronavirus. But what we don't know about this, there's two big unknowns about this virus. One is how long will that immunity work and last? So if somebody gets sick today, recovers in two weeks from now, does that mean they won't be able to get sick again ever? Or does it mean they won't be able to get sick again for six months? And we you think, you know, growing up, you think once you get the flu, you're immune to that particular flu the rest of your life. But you're saying not the case. Yeah, there's may some, not be the case. That's exactly right. And there's some viruses like measles, for example. Measles is famous for, for once you get it once, you'll never get it again in your life. And, uh, and then there's other viruses like a rhinovirus or a coronavirus where the immunity just is kind of not so great. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and, we and things are that. mutating. Things are mutating out there all the time, right? 
that's that that could that could be part of why the the immunity doesn't persist. That's true. What can we expect in the coming weeks? Do you think? So unfortunately, the news isn't good from right now. There are we are seeing an, an amazing um, uh, mobilization of people to stay in their homes and and the, do the social distancing thing, which is great. But unfortunately, many many people have already been infected. Uh, and over the coming three weeks or so, we are going to continue seeing an exponential increase of people getting sick and showing symptoms and going into the hospital and unfortunately dying. Not everyone, a very minor portion of those people will die, but we will see an increased number of people dying. And, And we anticipate that even if we start complete isolation of the population today, uh, we will still see a big increase in cases entering into the hospital over the f- next three weeks. And that's because people's symptoms catch up to them. Even if they got exposed a week ago, they might not show symptoms until two weeks after that. And, and the hope is that um, we'll see this large increase that will look scary and everyone will think that the social isolation is not working. It's going to take some time for us to see the benefits of what we do right now. But hopefully three weeks from now, we'll start to see that start to slow down. The curve will start to turn over and we'll see the numbers from day to day start decreasing and decreasing. And that's the whole thing of flattening the curve that we've been talking about. There you go. Dr. Michael J. Minna, you have hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Everybody listen to him. The next few weeks, it's going to look really bad where a lot of people are infected. But then three, four, five, six weeks from now, it'll start to slow. That's, thank you. Thank you so much. Now, before we go, I have a question for me. This is just for me. This may or may not make it into the podcast. This is for me. When I was a kid, I read The Virus Hunters. Mm-hmm. And then I read it again a couple of years ago. What made you want to be into epidemics? I mean, it seems kind of creepy. Epidemics. Well, I got into public health when I was in college, and I actually, um, I would say that one of the major things that got me into public health and epidemics was uh, I actually used to be a Buddhist monk in Sri Lanka, and of course you, did. of course you did, of course you did, <laughs> and uh, like, like that's weird. <laughs> it's a, it was a deviation after college, and um, and I was an engineer before that, and I went to Sri Lanka. And unfortunately, I was uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I was there when the tsunami hit in 2004, and um, and then I lived in a refugee camp for for a number of months afterwards, trying wow. to do what wow. I wow, Di- doctor, this is wild, wow. <laughs> it all just wow. kind of led to to a real interest in in public health, and then bridging it with uh, these days, bridging it with with epidemic modeling and diagnostic development and things like that. It's really a, it's an amazing. What, what, let me ask you this. What is your message to the world? Your long-term view of the world and the short-term view of this coronavirus pandemic. What is your message to the world? I think my message today to the world is, um, this is a very, this is, I wasn't expecting this question. You know, it's a big question. Oh, that's, that's what makes it fun. Maybe. (laughs) So I think the uh, I think the message to the world and and what I really hope can come across as a silver lining in this epidemic is is that if we don't figure out how to work as neighbors and work together and work efficiently and not not quarrel over small things 
then we find ourselves in a position like we're in today, which is really unprepared. But if we if we can figure out how to work together as a country, as states, as hospitals, and pull pool our resources, work together, all for for a common good, I think you know this is the message of public health in some ways, and this is the message of this epidemic. I think is that. Um, real preparedness for these natural events that we have no control over can can comes from working together. That's fantastic. Thank you. Let's all work together. Public health demonstrates to everyone that we are all in this together on this planet. Thank you so much. Our guest today has been Dr. Michael J. Minna, an epidemiologist studying this crisis and working to, uh, dare I say it, change the world. Now, we would love to hear you share your stories with us as we go through this pandemic. So send us a voicemail. Perhaps you remember that technology, a voicemail, and tell us what your experience has been, how you are coping, and what's on your mind. Leave your messages at good old 201-472-0785, 201-472-0785. Thank you again, Dr. Minna. I'm Bill Nye, and my friends, this is a pandemic, a global epidemic, and we are all in this together, and nevertheless, science still rules. Now, Science Rules, the coronavirus edition, is a production of Witness Docs from Stitcher. The show is produced by Claire Rawlinson, Stephanie Kariuki, Corey S. Powell, our beloved Corey S. Powell, and our engineer today is Luce Fleming who also mixed this episode. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Peter Clowney is our executive producer. Special thanks to Casey Halford. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer at Stitcher. And it's Stitcher, everyone. Once again, science rules. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.